Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning in to the Deal Farm podcast, where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode, Kevin and I sit down with Brad Woodall, a local Atlanta investor who wholesales, flips, rents, and owner finances, but has really dialed it in on probates. We also get into a discussion about the tendency of entrepreneurs to get stuck in negative thought patterns and how to break that cycle. See you on the other side. Ken, you were down at the beach, man. How was that? Uh, the beach is always nice. Even in February, it's still nice. Yeah, I kind of like a- it when there's not as many people, you know, on top of each other down there. And I even like it when it's a little bit overcast. Oh, yeah. Beach is always nice. Cloudy it's day at the beach. Nice. Windy day at the beach. You know, that weird thing about the beach, you know, I was just uh, on the West Coast, West Coast Beach. Just about wherever you go around the beach, at least I've been, there's always donut shops. You know, so there's always donuts at the beach. What and that's funny. It's the only time I really give myself permission to eat a donut is when I'm at the beach. It's like, all right, I have permission now to eat donuts. What is well, that? The, by, by that point, you look pretty good, right? You've uh, you've were restrained eating donuts for months and months. You get to the beach and it's like, all right, I, I can eat donuts now. It's probably why I put on five pounds last week. Like legitimately <laughs> put on five pounds last week because it's just I'm gonna eat the whole week. So so true story, right? We had a meeting last week, a very important meeting. You were in the parking lot of a donut shop on Zoom with us, right? Oh, that's right. That's funny. <laughs> man, yeah, we were actually bringing on a franchisee signing, and I was sitting outside. Well, my family's inside eating donuts. I'm sitting out in the car celebrating our new – yeah, that was pretty funny. So it led me to – I, I, I got a question for you, and we don't have to land on this too long. I, I don't understand what donut shop coffee is. I understand getting coffee at a donut shop, but when you go to buy coffee, they always have all these different varieties of donut shop coffee. And I, and I don't get that. Does it doesn't taste like donuts? And I don't know what it that means. I thought it was a brand. Like maybe there's no. multiple brands that are the Yeah, a bunch of different brands have, oh, you know, we got Colombian, we got Guatemalan, and we got donut shop. It's like yeah, I thought that was what a does brand. that mean? Does that just mean it's been on the burner for six hours? And yeah, I don't, seriously. I've never had a really great cup of coffee at a donut shop. I think it means that there's like four cups of cream and five cups of sugar in the coffee. Maybe that's what <laughs> it, it means. Because that's how they make it at the donut shop. It could mean that. Maybe so. But I got to tell you, I do love a good donut. West Coast donuts, the California donuts are the best. But anytime you're at the beach, yeah. is a great donut. I, I, what is it too about California it has all the independence donut shops versus yes, you know, the East Coast? Everything's a chain. You know, I didn't research this ahead of time, but there's a really cool documentary about the donut shops of Cal- in California, and they were all started by this. Uh, it, the trend was started in California. They're all Cambodians. The Cambodians have taken over the donut industry. I guess it goes back to the 70s uh, when on the West Coast, Winchell's. Winchell's was the donut place oh, yeah, on the I West Coast. That. I think Winchell's had West Coast and Dunkin' Donuts had East Coast. And then this this guy from Cambodia came in and learned everything from Winchell's, started donut shops. And it's, it's an interesting story because the Khmer Rouge comes in, right? And you've got all these refugees leaving Cambodia, coming into California as refugees. And he's teaching them all how to make, how to you know run donut shops. And now I'm telling you, you go into 20 donut shops in California, 19 of them are run by Cam, owned and run by Cambodians. And it all goes back to this one dude that came over and trained them all up how to have donut shops. It does, and they're it does, and they're all families that were refugees coming over after the Khmer Rouge. Remember? Yeah, uh, so funny. Is that that movie, The Killing Fields? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, right. I, I watched this on one of my flights out to California. I watched this uh, documentary on the flight, and so I start going into different donut shops. Like once I realized they're all they're all Cambodians. I know. So I te- I went into a bunch of, and every time, so where are you from? Oh, I'm from Cam- Cambodia. It's like, oh, so were you there during the Khmer Rouge? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Our, our houses were burned down and we were forced to live in the jungle. And it's like, what? And now you're just in California making donuts. And it's like, you hear this story over and over. It's wow. it's really, next time you're in California, get a donut, ask where they're from, and then get their story about being refugees. Come to America. And when they say Cambodia, we'll be like, I knew it. I told you he was going to be Cambodian. <laughs> I saw the documentary. I'm informed. I know how this works. Yeah, give me another cruller. <laughs> I need to yeah, hurry up with my coffee. <laughs> Extra my, my donut coffee in the crueler. 
That's very interesting. I want to go find this documentary that you're talking about. That's very interesting. All right, so that's the research I did. Ken, where does the name Crueler come from? That, that That's an odd name. Long John, I get. Crueler, not so much. Bear claw <laughs> makes sense. Looks like a bear claw. Get Crueler, it. I, get it I think some own. people call them tractor tires, don't they? I get that. It looks like a tractor tire. I've never heard that. Really? Heard no, that. you're not living, man. You've been on the West Coast too much. It's a crude. Cake donut. I understand it. <laughs> Jelly filled. Sure. All day long. Get that. <laughs> but crueler, where does that come from? You know, somebody uh, that I know loves donuts, who I think maybe we should bring on. Mr. Brad Who's Woodall. That? Mr. Brad Woodall. Oh, Brad. What a great guy. Brad is, he really is. He's one of the greatest dudes. He is, uh, he's somebody that's in the Atlanta market with, yep. uh, with me. He's a really good investor. And what I mean by good, like he's just got his systems dialed in. He does a good job of diversifying. He's a legitimate wholesaler when he gives you a deal. It's a real deal. And him and I have done lots of deals together. And I don't You built to... him a house. Didn't you build him a house? What's so that's the point. Yeah, I'll let him tell the story. But that's uh that is how we originally met is he bought one of the very first houses that Red Barn Construction built. Wait, I think like 2013 or 14, some, somewhere back there. That's and awesome. that's how we met each other. And then he then he got into full-time real estate. He wanted to be an investor. He wasn't at the time. Then he got mm -hmm. into real real estate full-time. Then he ended up becoming a really, really great investor. And we started trading deals and co-wholesaling and working on stuff together. And, and now he's got his own local RIA. He's training other investors. He's taking some things nationwide. And he's a wealth of knowledge. And uh, I don't know, without further ado, you want to bring him on? Let's welcome him in. Brad, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, Ken, how are you? Thanks I'm for doing having fantastic. me. Man, I'm so thrilled to have you back on. I know it's been probably been a couple of years since we had you on for one of our best deal ever episodes. Yeah. But oh. uh, I think today, I mean, you're a much more seasoned investor at this point in time. So you've got lots of good knowledge to drop on us. Yeah, I've learned a lot through the school of hard knocks, making money, losing money, you know, all of the that's, above. So. They call that experience, right? And, and that way, when you, get, you feel pain, that's experience. Yeah. Yeah, sure. If you haven't lost money on a deal, you're probably not a real real estate investor. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or at least a like a an operator. I mean, who's in the business of flipping houses. I mean, at some point in time, you do enough houses, you're gonna you're gonna pick up some dogs. I think I can count on one hand the number of houses I've lost money on. Fortunately, they've all been small losses, like a few thousand dollars here and there. That's not bad. Um but not uh but yeah, just you clearly haven't loses. operated in the city of Atlanta as much as I have. I try to stay, I wholesale pretty much everything I get down in the city of Atlanta. I do smart. not want to operate down there. You do yeah. not. No, that's very smart. I learned from you. Yeah, learned by exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's where I can disseminate knowledge on folks is here's what not to do after a thousand houses. <laughs> yeah. So how you been, man? Good, man. Uh, I mean, just crazy. It's been crazy. You know, I took kind of almost last year off in a sense letting the business sort of run on autopilot while I was building this house That's right. and uh, cause I GC this build myself. And then obviously, you know, what's going on with my son and yeah. you know, going through that. So yeah. um, it's been crazy, but just keep every day, keep chugging away and just keep, keep I rolling with it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I want to get into it, but know that my family is a hundred percent praying for your son every day. I mean, trust me, if anybody can, uh, empathize with where you guys are at it's us having gone through the same thing with our son so yes you guys have been fantastic thank you um well so your house that you built personally was on a piece of property that you and i co-opt on actually you want to talk about that for two seconds yeah yeah sure so this was like a creative deal right i originally was going into this my wife and i uh, did sort of a direct mail campaign to find a piece of land to build a house we wanted to build a custom home um, ironically, our house that we sold was one that you built long, long time ago. Well, which again, another another side note is that's how we originally met. Is that's Brad how we actually met. bought yeah. like one of the very first houses we built? It's like 2015, I think, is when we met. I yeah. think that sounds right. Yeah. So, uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah, got this deal. We did a direct mail campaign. Uh, we were trying to find some. We did a you know list source list, identified an area criteria, narrowed it down, wrote some letters, pictures of the family, da 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 you know, and uh, we got some leads on it. And this one was originally just supposed to be like one lot. Um, and then they didn't want to sell that lot by itself. They wanted to sell like the whole thing. So then I was like, well, let me turn this into a business and a personal deal. 
And, um, and then I was like, well, we can split this up. Let me bring Ken in. Ken knows, you know, we're in Cherokee County. Ken knows how to do minor subdivisions to Cherokee County. I've never done one before. So let me bring him in. And then you needed a house for the TV show you were doing. So it all worked together. I got owner financing on it, which was awesome. And, uh, ended up, you know, basically I was going into it. I was trying to get my lot for free in essence, right? So I could use that as a down payment for a construction loan and, and it all worked out. I ended up going way over budget and still had well, to spend cash, but happens when you build. that's how it goes. But, uh, you know, I just got an appraisal and this thing appraised for like $500,000 more than what it costs, what I've got in it. So I'm happy, right? That's, that's amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. So many cool things about that uh, deal that we did together though. I mean, we got a, a house and this is sort of, we do a lot of this is we buy houses on acreage. We flip the house and then carve up the acreage and build houses on it, which is exactly what you and I did. What's cool is there is this owner financing component. You know, we got to do one of the houses for the show, which interestingly is, uh, is one of the houses that Colin and Christina worked on for the show. And so they're literally working on the house next door to Brad, who's building his house. And they actually became really good friends. In yeah. The process. Yeah. I just so talked we, to Colin yesterday. <laughs> you're like, yeah, that's funny. Isn't that hilarious? We just had Colin on too. I think last week, believe it or not. Yeah. So yep. yeah, it's very funny. So we ended up building another house, selling another lot, but that's a, I do. I love that strategy of taking a house that's on a lot of land, carving it up, flipping the house. In fact, Kevin, we were on a call this morning with Dave and he was showing off one of the houses that we had literally just done the exact same thing on over yeah, up in, yeah. uh, in Alpharetta. So yeah, and you and I are doing another one right now under contract closing in uh, actually the end of this month. At the so. end of this month. Yep. You and I got another one. I'm telling you, it's a great model. And I've got another one right around the corner from there that I'm doing the same thing on house, flip the house, carve up the land, build another house. I mean, it's a, it is, especially where we live, which is a little bit, a little bit more rural. There's more tracts of land. Yep. Huge tracts of land out there. <laughs> <laughs> We're splitting up. You know, but that, what that kind of highlights you get is you think about the different uh, two things. One is there's just so many different ways to you know be creative in the real estate investing space. But second, you're working with a, among a community that's not necessarily competitors, right? I mean, you guys are, are right in each other's backyard doing different types of business, but you guys are figuring out deals to do together left and right. Yeah. And like on the, on this deal with my house, you know, I made the lion's share of the profits. And then on this one, we got under contract, like Ken will get the lion's share of profits, just sort of back and forth. Like, it's almost like you take your buddy out to lunch, you paying this time, I'm paying next time, you know, just, totally. just bounce it back and forth. Right. And, and to, this to me is another, it's a really good point that we try to make with our new franchisees who are coming into the business. I, one of the first things I tell them to do is figure out every wholesaler in your market, get on their list, one, it's good just from a research perspective, like what are people trading in the off-market realm? But two, every one of those people should be your friends if they're if they're open to it. Most of them are because you can co-wholesale, you can trade deals, you can buy from them, you can sell through them. There's all sorts of cool things you can do. And and always look at them not as competition, but just as, you know, a potential partner. Absolutely. And you're gonna figure out real quick who the actual players are. Because in this community, there's only a very small number of actual players, like guys that are actually buying houses. And there's a lot of people that talk a big talk and they try to wholesale all these deals out and you figure out quickly that they're just daisy chainers and they're just forwarding and out emails that they get every day. And, you know, you'll catch on quick yeah. who the real players are. Right? Yeah. And you eventually you'll get those emails where it's like every time they send it to you, it's just so overpriced. The numbers aren't real. And then you're just like, nah. I'm not interested in this wholesaler. You figure out who are the ones that are real and the ones that you like. And and hopefully you're taking some guys to, to coffee or to lunch and getting to know them. And like you and I, though, then you're just trading deals with each other. Sure. Mm -hmm. And you're you'll also like, don't be afraid to make, I make lowball offers to wholesalers like every day. I'll get them in my mailbox. I give them some feedback. I make them a lowball offer. 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it doesn't work, but I've got a flip I'm finishing up right now. I offered him 65,000 less than he was asking and he took it. He was able to go back to the seller. He couldn't move it. It was up north. It was in a house in Jasper. He doesn't really do a ton up in Jasper. I know Jasper. He didn't know Jasper. So I was like, I'll give you this for it. This is what it's worth. Your ARV's way off. Your rehab's way off. But if, if you can get it for me for this, I'll buy it. And and he, he did. And I bought it. And I'm almost done with the flip. I'm putting it on the market in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, it's funny. That, that's awesome. that's kind of like the deal you and I are doing right now, where you kind of came even before you made the offer to them. You're like, Ken, what would you pay for this? Yeah. I sort of gave you my number. And then you went and negotiated your number. And it yeah. was sort of like you got some input before you went back, which I think that's a really good point, actually, Brad, that you're making is, you know, a lot of times wholesalers have more spread than you realize. So go ahead and make them an offer that might make sense to you. 
but they can always go back and renegotiate to try to get the deal done, which is what happened for you and Jasper. I think that's amazing. Well, that and don't get, get discouraged when you get turned down, you know, 19 out of 20 times. It doesn't mean you stop doing it. Yeah. You just wait for that one that when it finally pops. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Correct. So, Brad, one of the one things I wanted to bring you on and talk about uh, specifically is how you've niched down, even in the wholesale space, and become really, really targeted in terms of, of working the probate arena. Maybe talk to kind of how you fell into that and what it looks like for you now. Yeah. So, um, the riches are in the niches, as I always say. Like Why that. it took me so long to niche down this way, I don't know. <laughs> I get caught. I got caught up in the world of like, you know, I'm in. The, I'm wearing my Investor Fuel Mastermind. I'm taking a break from Investor Fuel right now, just with everything going on. But, you know, I I, I see all these guys and they're these heavy hitters and they're doing this big business and they got these big marketing machines. And Ken, you can relate to that. And you sit back and you're like, Why am I doing all of this? <laughs> yes, I get right. This. Yeah, I don't a, need this big machine. Yeah. I'm good at this. Yep. Let's just do more of that. And that's what I did in probates. I started doing probate marketing, just direct mail. And I still do direct mail probates um, back in, um, gosh, 2017, 18, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and Brad, some of our listeners might not really understand what, what you mean when you say by probates. Give us just a real high level explanation of what type of business so, that is. Yeah, so- Somebody dies in order to distribute the assets of the estate, whether there was a will or there wasn't a will, it has to go through the probate court because that person in charge, the executor or the administrator, has to get approval by the court to be the representative of the estate to be able to sign on the dotted line and sell the assets. So they file a petition with the courts in their in whatever county, there. it's the county in which the person that died lived in. Um, at the time of their death, and they file a petition with the county. And there are companies out there that literally send people to the courthouse. Some of them you can do it online. Some of you actually got to go to the courthouse. And they literally pull the lists, and the petition has the administrator's name. It has the person who died's name. It has the address. It has a phone number. It has all their contact information. This is all public records. Um, and th there's lists. There's list providers that pull this, or you can go do it yourself. I find just from a time perspective, it's easier for me to just pay somebody to buy the list from than it is to, for me to go do it. But I, I used to right. go do it myself. I had people that would do it for me. I had VAs that would pull it for me and all that stuff. Um, and that's basically what you do. And the people die and they're filing for probate, more than likely they're going to be selling a house. Um, nine times out of 10, they're going to be selling through a realtor, um, which is, I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but get some great deals. And my best deals have always been probate deals. This deal in my house I'm in, the one we did together, the, there were three heirs involved. Granted, the person died five, six years ago, um, but they inherited this property from their family and they just didn't want it anymore and worked out a deal. You know, So my best deals have always been probates. I've made the most money on them. Um, and I was like, well, why don't I just do more of that? <laughs> you know? Right. You know, and I've known guys in my masterminds over the years that had niched down into the probate space. And I think maybe for some guys that, you know, want to be heavy hitters, they may not feel like there's enough deal flow in the pro. If you, if you're trying to Correct. do 50 to hundred a year, there may not be enough deal flow. Mm -hmm. And so they try to focus on other efforts, but if you just need 10 to 20 really good deals a year, I, yep. I think you could absolutely niche just into probate, become the pro in that. And you're niching down, not just from a uh, outbound marketing, but you're doing, you're gearing your whole business kind of around it now. What does that look like? Yeah. So I've built out a website, which is we're working on in Georgia right now, but we've already got all the domains and everything to go national with this. I'm building out the strategy, you know, nail it before you scale it is what I'm doing right now. And it's all content marketing focused. It's all, uh, I've been following Frank Kern, the marketer for years. It's, it's intent-based branding is what it's called. And I built this entire brand around all things probate because it's a new frontier for almost everyone going through probate. They don't know what they're getting into. They don't know any of this. So I've just built a crap ton of content. If you go on my YouTube channel and on my website, you'll see all the content. I'm about to actually, I got a list here. I got to record five more videos after we get off this call, right? And it's just all content focus. And it's all um, people that are, they're going on the internet and the, everyone's searching and asking Google for solutions to their problems today, right? Mm -hmm. 
So all I'm doing is giving them the answers to their problems. And then as a byproduct, I get to buy more houses and I'm an agent. So I get to list more houses too. I'm going after both sides of it. Hmm. In this case, I'll take the listing or I'll take the cash sale hmm. um, and, and go that route. So I'm doing that. And I'm planning on doing that across the country. We're just building it out in Georgia right now. We're three months into this project. I've been dreaming this for two years and building it out. I finally launched it like three months ago. And I'm wow. buying a house next week from it. Um, and I got another one, uh, two more in the pipe that, you know, we're working on these probate deals, take a special kind of person. They take a special kind of touch. They're a very, you got to nurture these people. These aren't quick sales, like boom, boom, boom. Like this takes time. They take time. They're not fast deals. And some people just don't have the patience to do them, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. So. Well, because they're, they're in a difficult situation to begin with. Yes. And in the probate process takes a while, like on yes. average, how long does it take to probate an estate? On average in Georgia, uh, I would say three to six months. It really depends on whether the heirs agree. Like mm -hmm. so many times it's, there's family feuds going on and people can't agree on things. And with COVID and stuff, the courts got so backed up and depending on the county that you're in, I mean, you can count on every bit of three to six months. Yeah. Wow. And so you might enter their world on the front end of that and then still kind of be holding their hand and talking to them about the sale through that entire three to six month process, right? Right. Correct. Yes, that's correct. So, and that's the purpose of this website too, is I'm catching them very, very early in the process. They call it top of funnel. Mm -hmm. And then I've got all this content that this are called nurturing sequences mm -hmm. that are nurturing them through their process so that when they are ready to sell that house, I'm their guy. And so that's interesting. So is the content even geared towards selling a house or is it just geared towards this is the process you're in and I'm a trustworthy person? Both. It's, okay. it's, it's all things related to probate. And there are pieces of content around selling a house, around selling to an investor or selling to an agent or helping them through all the decision-making processes that they're going through uh, to get them to that point. Yeah, I imagine you're, you're dealing with people who are grieving, right? Yes. Or are in a very unfamiliar space, even if they're you know, they're not grieving, it's like, how does this work? And I'm an heir, they've, they've probably got expectations that may or may not be realistic. And so you're navigating a space with some folks that's gotta be, uh, pretty heavy emotionally, right? That they're trying to figure out, right? That you're, you're having to help them navigate. Exactly. So some of our content is is, is the uh, psychological, emotional uh, focus. So I'm also bringing, I, I, have, I have guests that do content with me. So I've got licensed counselors that are, they're writing content pieces for me that are doing video content with me around these, how to deal with grief, how to deal with fighting with your sister or your brother or whatever. All these things that are all the things related to probate is what this whole website does. And oh, by the way, I'm always, there's always a message out there. If you want to sell your house at the end of every video, I have a call to action. If you have a house that you want to sell, give me a call. But the video is not about me buying their house. It's about actually answering their problem and solving their problem. And then at the end, oh, by the way, if you want to sell a house, give me a call. You know, what's it going to look like for you uh, if you scale nationwide? I mean, obviously, trying to wholesale. Yeah, I mean, it can totally be done. There's lots of people that are very good at virtual wholesaling, but what are, what's sort of your big picture for that? The plan is uh, get a few trusted investor partners in every market that can almost like you've done with franchises that they're the face of the brand in that market. And just only like one or two of them. I, I don't want to make this super complicated. And that's our person in that market. Yep. And they, they, run with the deal and we split the profit on that deal and they run with it. It's their ball to run with in their market. But I, I'm going to interview all these people ahead of time to make sure I'm picking the right person for that. Yeah. It, it definitely takes a certain personality to nurture leads. And that's one of the things we're training up our franchisees is in is you have, to, it, it's true for probate, but it's true for just about any seller. Yeah. You have right. to nurture the lead. You have to build some amount of trust. They got to know, like, and trust you before they're going to sell to you. And um, and it does take a certain personality, right? I mean, it can be taught, but there are there is some there is something about being an innate, you know, emotionally intelligent person who can just work somebody through the process and get them to to trust you in the process, right? 
And it's not just getting them to trust you. It's just being a genuine, like straight up honest person too. Like there's, I mean, you know, in our industry, there's some dirt bags in our industry that (laughs) take advantage of people, right? We're just honest people. We do what we say we're going to do. That's one thing I reiterate in my videos because there's so many wholesalers that put properties under contract with no intention of ever closing on that deal. They can't ever find a buyer and they leave the seller hanging high and dry. And then we come in, have to swoop in later. That's why our follow-up game is super strong right now because there's so many guys that just can't perform and we're coming in like, well, I'll close next week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So unfortunately it's those folks that do give our, our industry a bad name It's the folks that just simply can't perform or don't have any intention. And there's been times where our acquisition managers struggle to get a property sold and, uh, and and we'll we'll just make nothing on it just to perform. And to to me in those circumstances, just perform, even if you're not going to make any money, just, you know, protect your reputation and help these people out. And if you, if you only make a thousand bucks or if you make nothing, who cares? Get just perform, right? It's just doing what you say you're going to do. Uh, I just got a probate lead while we're on the phone. That's awesome. Nice. That's (laughs) hilarious. Is that coming? So let's talk about your marketing for just a second. So what, what does all, how many different avenues for marketing do you have specifically towards probate? So I, I still do direct mail probate. Um, I've got a probate list now that is like, I mean, this month we're probably 26,000 records. Well, I've is, that only that, is that across uh, the state of Georgia or is that just North Atlanta? So 11 metro counties, 11 metro okay. Atlanta counties. Um, and I've been compiling these lists since I think 2018. Uh, we scrub the list every month. We delete off the ones that have sold. It's based off the decedent's last address. Now, there are a lot of properties on my list that they probably don't even own real estate, but the time it would take me to scrub this list and pick those out for what tiny percentage that they are, it doesn't really matter. It's just a cost of doing business to me. Um, but I mail that list out uh, every other month to the big list. And then every month I do like a smaller list, like people that have filed in the last, I think it's just like 12 months. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. So, and I found the, the money in probate is in the older stuff, not the newer stuff because the new people are like on it. Like they're doing the investor dog and pony show. You're there with like five other investors and they're taking the highest bid. And I'm never the highest bid, especially yeah. because I'm wholesaling a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I still buy stuff. I still flip. I own rentals. I, I do everything. Right. Um, but I'm never going to be the highest offer. So I'm not going to win the highest and best game. Plus I'm not, I'm very conservative when I buy stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I'd rather go after the other ones where I don't have any competition, but that costs money to get to that point. Cause you got to buy leads for months and months and months, and you got to market to these leads and it's consistency, right? Just mm-hmm. keeps in letters, keeps in letters, keeps in letters. So for example, I shut down with everything been going on with my son for like two months, I'd like didn't do direct mail during like November and December. And I was still getting phone calls. Wow. Right. Yeah. Cause people were just like, Hey, I got your postcard. Like who knows, like six months ago or whatever. And they're still calling. Right. Yeah. So, and, and if they see that same postcard and this speaks a little bit to direct mail, it's not a one and done. It never works that way. They have no. to see you multiple times before it registers. Hey, this guy, Brad keeps hitting me with He, you know, he must be serious. Let me reach out to him. And, and they reach out whenever their circumstance makes sense for them to reach out, which could be six, eight, 12 months after they've been getting your postcard. Yeah. And, and for example, the first deal you and I did together where we bought that thing and split up that lot and flipped that house. Yep. Um, that guy was my first direct mail campaign I ever did. And he was the only guy that ever called me on that campaign, but he didn't call me for like a year and some odd months later. That's crazy. He right? just sat on that card. He stuck it in a drawer and waited uh-huh. for a year. And he called. And when he was ready to sell, he he called. And that was a great deal for you and I. It <laughs> took yeah, a lot yeah. longer than we thought. We yeah, still well, made money. but The flip side, again, is one where we split up the house and the land. And the, and the flips that was fantastic. In fact, we used the flip in one of the shows. In one of our yeah. seasons of flipper and then but then building a house in milton took forever <laughs> was, yeah lesson and then all the other things <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's the gift that keeps on giving unfortunately right right so um, so what yeah so that's what i do yeah so besides uh, mail, internet you, oh internet okay yeah. all online so i've always had my my website uh which uh, once upon a time was a lead propeller site lead propeller is not really it's still sort of a thing, but not really a thing anymore. I converted to a carrot site years ago. Carrots, investor carrot. Everybody knows investor carrot if you're in the investor space. 
Um, so it's Carrot Site. It's my Arborview Home Buyers website. Um, I've had that for years. I I was doing pay per click on that website for a long time, but I turned off pay per click probably I don't know six months ago because um, I got to the point where literally. 90% of our leads were these, when the market turned, all these wholesalers were trying to sell all their deals that they got stuck with because no one else was buying anymore. And only this, the serious guys were buying and my leads were just, they were burning up my pay-per-click. I was spending 10 grand a month to get nine out of 10, just wholesaler leads that were garbage deals. Oh, wow. I said, wow, enough of this, turn it off. I still get SEO leads from that website. Yep. Um, Cause I've been working on SEO for years, uh, search engine optimization for yep. those who don't know what SEO means. Yep. Um, so those are organic search leads. Uh, so I do that. And then, uh, and then obviously I have other, I have other websites, probate specific websites. I have probatehouseguy.com, which is a investor attorney and realtor facing website. So all the messaging, the branding and all of that stuff is only targeted at that specific group. And it's all content that, so they'll send me leads. Mm -hmm. And then I have Georgia probate resource, which we, I own probateresource.com. Um, that wow, that's a great is, um, that's the, uh, that's the thing I was talking about at the beginning. That's where the sellers, the people that are going through probate, that's the site that they go to, to look for information, to send the leads to. That's where all that goes to. So, and are you doing SEO and all of that? Is that where a lot of the leads are coming from? We are not doing SEO in a sense on the probate resource website at the moment because I am going national with it. Um, I'm not focusing on the SEO. So we're doing pay-per-click on that. Gotcha. And and I'm just doing, you know, Google ads for that, right? Because gotcha. it's yep. easy. Mm -hmm. I can turn it on, turn it off. I can get leads. And, and then all the videos that I do, all the content, if you go to YouTube, all the stuff I have is SEO, is search engine optimized for right. YouTube. Yep. And then those YouTube videos direct them to my website. So for those that don't know, YouTube can be a great hack to quickly rank for some specific keywords, right? Where it might take years and years uh, if you're trying to build out a website with content, but you can record one or two videos that just hit just right. And those videos from YouTube will show up in a just a standard Google search, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. On that point, my one of my best performing videos on my YouTube channel that I recorded, gosh, probably three, four years ago is um, what happens if I don't pay my property taxes in Georgia as the title of the video. And I still get hundreds of views a month to that video. Really? That many yeah. people don't want to pay their taxes in Georgia. Apparently. <laughs> Every month. I still is it really going to hurt. Is it really going to hurt if I don't yeah, pay my like, taxes? Can they really take my house? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> That's so, crazy. Yep. That, that's called evergreen marketing. And that's the that whole is. point. I'm doing a yep. lot of effort right now up front as, as we launch this website, but all this content is all evergreen content. That's going to continue to pay me for years and years to come. It'll be yep. passive mm -hmm. income <laughs> we well, all in, this, in the sense passive. that it's leads, right? In the sense that it's going to generate leads from you for, for the long term, And those leads turn into cash over time. Plus we're going to be selling the tertiary leads we get from this mm -hmm. site yep. to probate attorneys, estate sale companies, you know, realtors, blah, blah, blah. As we yep. go national with this, I'll be selling leads to them because I need partners in every market. So, yeah, yep. yep. that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, you're one of those guys, I feel like that's done a really good job of, of one, you've niched down obviously, but you've got great lead generation, but you also on the disposition side, I like that you, you take every property and you sort of run it through a grid and you either wholesale it you flip it, you hold it as a rental, which is exactly the same thing we we try to teach as well. It's like, there's not a one size fits all. A lot of our franchisees come in, they're like, I just want to fix and flip. And we have to say, well, that's great. But no, you, you're, you're going to want to wholesale some of those properties. How do you determine what you end up doing with the property? I, I, it comes in and, and I look at the highest and best use for it. You know, is this you know, a lot of the stuff I wholesale is just stuff like that's too far away that I don't want to flip. So I like, I like flip stuff that's within 30 minutes to an hour of my house. Yeah. Right. Um, or within a close proximity to like my contractor, like my, my painter will go like all over North Georgia. So if it's a carpet and paint stuff. I can send him to wherever and he'll do it for me. Um, or I look at it like if I know I have a buyer 
for for instance, I've got uh, a couple deals under contract at the moment, and they're down uh, south of Atlanta, like Clayton County sort of area around the airport. And I've got a guy that I've known for years, and I sell him pretty much all the stuff I get right there in that area because he always performs. He never BSs me. He does what he says he's going to do. He closes on time. He He's reasonable with what he wants. Um, and he's got creative strategies that he does with the properties. So if I can sell it to him and make a quick 20 grand on it um, on a wholesale, I sell it to him. And he's even literally, he went on an appointment with us the other day on Sunday with my acquisitions manager there as my business partner. Cause in essence, we are business partners. We've done so many deals together. Sure. We're not on the same LLC, but we JV on stuff. And mm -hmm. so he was there at the appointment with my acquisitions guy walking through the house ahead of time. So then I don't have to get anybody through the house later because I know I'm going to sell it to him, Yep. right? Now, am I leaving money on the table? Yeah, maybe, right? But I like to know that from a transparency perspective that this deal is going to get done. And that's just how I do business. But I know plenty of guys who do the auction wholesale model and they bring everybody through and they show it and they do highest and best and blah, blah. I, I just don't do that. You know, have I left money on the table? Probably, but yeah. what I do works for me and I'll keep doing it. Well, and I, you it, could say it goes that. back to speaking to trust too, though, man. You, you clearly have a high degree of shared trust there that, you know, you don't have to worry about him stealing a deal from you, right? I mean, right. Plus, every deal I do, I, I look at every deal as like, would I be okay buying this deal? Because at the end of the day, if I can't find a buyer for it, I'm still going to close on the deal and buy it because I'll, I'll just wholetail it. Right. I'll buy it. I have access to private money. I'll get one of my private lenders on it. I'll take it down and I'll just list it on the MLS. Maybe I'll clean it out and sell it as is. I do that a lot. I do wholesales. Um, I do wholesales. I do owner financing strategies where I sell stuff on terms. I bring in a cash investor to actually basically bring the cash. I'm buying one this week, a mobile home in uh, Albany, Georgia. Um, got a cash investor in, uh, they're my lend, uh, in essence, my lender, but we're doing a JV agreement. They're bringing the cash to the table. We're basically going to sell it on owner financing for more than double of what we bought it for cash, carry terms for the next 10 years, get payments on it. Um, and, and we don't have to fix it. We don't have to clean it up. We're just going to sell it as is, as a fixer upper mm -hmm. and let them fix it up. Um, and, and we sell it to them. It's a real owner financing. They're on title. The person we sell it to, we're just a lien holder. We can foreclose if they default on us, but I also vet the people before they like buy it from me. I just, just don't sell it to any Yahoo. That's going to, you know, and they got to give me down payment money. Most people don't have the money for down payment. They're not your candidate. Right. Yeah. So, so you do yeah, a everything, everything comes in, we look at it, like what's the best use for it. Okay, cool. Sell it off. And plus I have my realtor's license too. So for, Honestly, you don't get that many of them, but we'll list houses occasionally for people. Um, I'll put on my realtor hat and just say, okay, well, I'll just be your agent and I've got a buyer for it and I'll just collect a commission or I'll list it for you or whatever. Do, do you typically list those yourself or do you have an agent that you just try to refer those to and then split commission? It depends. Yeah. If they're close by, like within 30 minutes to an hour of my house, I'll probably list it for them. Um, and I get my, my, actually my personal assistant that works for me, she's an agent too. Um, and she'll do the MLS stuff for me and set everything up on the MLS. Like, I don't even have to do any of that legwork. Um, I just do the phone calls and the negotiating and whatever. Um, but I usually, most of the time I'm referring the lead out and just get a 25, 30% yeah. referral fee on it. Right. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, really what you're doing. And again, this is a, this is what we try to preach to everybody is monetize everything, right? Those leads come in. You want to look at them from every angle so that you can monetize as many of them as possible, right? Yeah. So sure. whether it's a wholesale or you fix and flip, we always say, look at the fix and flip first, right? Because that's probably going to be your biggest bang for your buck. But a lot of times it just doesn't make sense, whether it's geography or there's not enough meat on the bone or, or whatever. And for everything else, figure out how to monetize it, either wholesale it, refer it to an agent. Maybe it's a buy and hold for yourself. I'm sure you're buying rentals too. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit, that's, the, that's really the name of this game is, is having a lot of different arrows in your quiver to try to figure out how to make money on them. Yeah. And I, I wholesale my rentals to myself. So like when I keep a rental, I wholesale it, I assign it to my other entity and my other entity pays an assignment fee to my flipping company to cover my marketing costs or whatever. Yep. And I'm just burring those on the other side. So I'm getting my, like, it's all rolled into the deal. I mean, yeah, am I putting one money from one pocket to the other? 
yes, but like it's a clean transaction and I just keep that one and hold it. And then I have a deal set up with my acquisitions guy. I just pay him a flat fee. If I decide to keep it, he gets X yeah. amount commission. Well, you got this mm -hmm. machine. So you got to make sure you're feeding the machine, right? Whether it's for your marketing or to pay acquisition people. And then, yeah, like hold it on the other side. Brad, you're, you've only been in the business, what, four or five years, but you're crushing it. What would you say to somebody who's brand new? They're just getting into this space. They're listening to this show. What, what sort of advice would you give to somebody? Don't give up. You're going to have your bad days. Like I, I'm not going to lie that I haven't had sleepless nights and I freak out and there's some months where I'm broke and other months where I'm rolling in cash, like Scrooge and McDuck. <laughs> and you know, that's just the nature of this business yeah. and just get through it. And, and the, there've been so many times where I like, I wanted to just like quit, you know, like you just get beat down in a month, but like the reality is, is like the good is just around the corner. Yeah. It's, it's just right there. And yeah. if you just stick with it, stay consistent, pick your values, like choose your fundamentals and don't ever break your rules. Every time I break my rules, I all, it always bites me in the rear end. Yeah. Um, and just, just stay with it. That's, good. That's great. You can't let those negative thoughts hijack your thinking and take you completely off track of your plans, everything that you've set in place. Absolutely. There really is something, especially as an entrepreneur, because as entrepreneurs, all we're doing is putting out fires like day in and day out. You're just putting out fires, but having, you know, strong fortitude, it's like, you know, and I can get through this. I can manage my way through this. And like you said, right around the corner, there's another deal with a nice payday. I can manage through the issues right now. And, and that really a lot of times separates the successful entrepreneurs from those, those that bail out and go back to the W2 job. And I don't ever want to go back to W2 again. I mean, I've thought about it occasionally for like a minute and I'm like, no, no, those called nightmares. I've, I've had those nightmares before. Like I'm back in my cubicle. Like why am I back in my cubicle? Wake right. up. This is horrible. And we need those TCP reports. Uh, can, you, can you get those TCP reports <laughs> yeah, for us? You could just give me those reports. That'd be great. Right. Greatest movie ever. <laughs> it really is such a good movie. Um, Brad, man, this was so good. So real, so raw, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Always good spending a little bit of time with you. And you and I should probably sidebar later this week on some of the deals we're working on. Yeah, yeah. We need to we need to get those. We're we're a month away from closing, so we gotta make sure that's all like lined up and ready to roll. So yep, yeah. Yeah, we'll come back on and talk about it maybe after the after it's all done because it's a it's another good case study and how to do these things. It's another lesson for real estate. It ain't over until the deal is closed and the wire is in your bank account. No doubt. Trust me. Yeah, you do not count your uh, chips at the table. That's for darn sure. Wait till it's in the yep. bank account before it's a done deal. Yep. So true. Awesome, Brad. Thanks so much for coming on, on man. Great to talk to you. Cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank Take you. Care. Man, that was good. I love talking to Brad. Is he not like just a wealth of knowledge? Yeah. He, and he had a couple of things there that I think I'm going to steal and claim as my own. Yeah. Uh, that? That, was just, that was just brilliant. What was it about the niche? You, you know, you're not, you're not a snitch until you got a niche or something like that. <laughs> you're not a snitch. I think that's exactly what he said. Yeah. That's what he said, wasn't it? I'm gonna steal you're that. not a snitch unless you niche. <laughs> Or scratch an itch. Was it something about scratching an itch? There was some know. scratching there. I'm not sure. What a great guy, though. Man, I appreciate the time. Yeah. Well, he had some good points there at the end, too, that I think were maybe worth unpacking a little bit. You know, this this whole concept, especially of entrepreneurs who just get down because there are so many peaks and valleys in the world of entrepreneurship. You're up, you're down. And, uh, and when you're down, you can feel beat down. Like you can have some bad, I've had some bad months, man, where it just feels like nothing is going your way. And, and the, really what separates the men from the boys and the ones who stick around are the ones who can muscle through that and, uh, and have, you know, positive outlook on things. Yeah, no doubt. You know, it's human nature to have some negative affect, right? To, to have a bad mood, to have a bad day. And I think one of the questions I think for anybody who's a business owner or really just anybody who's, you know, trying to be productive in life is what do you do with negative thoughts? Like how, how do you keep negative thoughts or feelings uh, from hijacking you and take, taking you off course? I, I, and he mentioned that, you know, that, he, that there are days he even thinks about maybe I should just go back to my W2 job, right? Yeah. I'm sure every entrepreneur at some point in time has had that thought. I remember being six months into to my business you know, and think, thinking that at times like, do, is this, oh crap, is, should I, do I need to bail out? Oh my gosh. Do, I, I still know everybody ever. They'd be cool. I, they'd hire me back if I need this. Right. I'm sure that every, almost every entrepreneur, especially coming out of a nice cushy, stable W2 position has those 
thoughts early on when there's some struggles, but man, if you can muscle through it's, you know, there's so much gold on the other side of that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's probably worth camping on maybe just, just for a little bit. So what do you do if we already know that, Hey, you're going to have bad, you're going to have bad days. You might have a bad season. You're going to be, you know, tempted to just totally get hijacked and think, Oh man, I'm, you know, my business is going to fail, you know, or I'm lousy at sales or I'm just not good at this, or or uh, I, I need to go back to my W two job. How, you know, it's one thing to say just just hang on, just grit it out. But you know, practically, what can you do on a day to day basis to help you through that? And I think you know the the concept of metacognition, big word that that's like an SAT word, right? That's metacognition. A PhD word. Thank you for that, Kevin. Yeah, maybe that's a GRE word. That, that's beyond the SAT, yeah. right? But, but metacognition, which is you know thinking about our thinking. It's, you know, as humans, we have the capacity to almost step aside from ourselves and look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves, right? It's like, man, I'm in a lousy mood today. Look at that. I'm being a real jerk, you know, or why am I having such negative thoughts or that we can step outside of ourselves and look at ourselves and understand, okay, what am I thinking or feeling or sensing? That That's the idea of metacognition is thinking about our thinking, man, I am caught in a negative pattern. And we can actually observe how we're thinking, how we're processing, how we're deciding things. Um, and, and so if we can leverage that to our benefit, then we can intercept those negative thoughts. And that's the idea of intercepting negative thoughts and not giving them room to bloom and grow is, is this idea of mindfulness. M mindfulness is... Uh, you know, in the Bible, for those of you know, if you're a faith tradition where the Bible is important, the Bible talks about take every thought captive. It's the same concept of of mindfulness, of of capturing those negative thoughts before they have much room to run. Interesting. And I think about the startup entrepreneur who it's not necessarily that things are off the rails but it's a series of fires. Like that's, that's really what I feel like as a business owner is that all, all I'm doing is putting out fires, but they can sort of stack on top. Like the negatives can stack really quickly. Like I'm coming out of this meeting with a negative. I'm going into the next meeting. It's a negative. And it's, it, and it can feel like a burden. It can weigh you down. But what you're saying is if you can even pause and stop in the middle of the day or at the end of the day and take a hard look at What's my, what is my real situation? What, how am I feeling? What is the situation right now? Are my eyebrows growing? You know, something crazy. Would that, would <laughs> For, Things are so bad. My eyebrows are getting thick. And I just grew a mustache and a goatee. Uh, oh, this is my brother trying to make me laugh on Zoom using a, a filter, which we do to each other quite, quite frequently, <laughs> probably way oh, more than we should is we'll we should be on these calls and all of a sudden. A mustache starts growing out of, and we're of course we're always on a call with somebody else, like a third party, and they have no idea what's going on. But Kevin and I both realize that the other person's slowly fading in a filtered mustache. Thirty minutes, man. Thirty minute meeting, clean shaven by the end. Eyebrows, mustache, <laughs> yeah. and get my brother to laugh. That's the best. Or just holding it in, yeah. Holding and then, it, and yeah. of course, the third party that's on the call with us—they're scratching their heads, like man, did he have a full goatee at the beginning of the call? I, I don't even remember if he did or not. <laughs> yeah. uh, the best is the people in our organization that work with us watching their response. We can't stay on task to save our yeah, lives, unfortunately. Totally okay, so speaking of task, all right. So you got a you got a business owner, an entrepreneur. They've got this business. They're putting out fires every single day. They got to start thinking, man, I am the worst business owner. All I do is put out fires. My company is an absolute mess. And what they don't realize is, well, everybody's company's a mess. Everyone's putting out fires every day. I mean, this is that's part of the deal of owning a business, right? There's some. It does help to have some universality when you realize, and other people are dealing with this too. You're not alone yeah. in this, right? You know, that's kind of it's, it's part of the issue with social media is your is people are. I think more people get. I think there, I'm sure there's studies. I don't have anything to quote, but I'm sure people come off of social media more often, feeling worse about themselves rather than better oh, yeah. than themselves, because people yeah. are always painting this amazing picture. I just took down this apartment deal, or I just, and nobody sees the behind the scenes of how much headache and pulling your hair out went into actually making yeah. something like this happen. Everything yeah. seems so ro rose colored from the outside. Yeah, there is so much research on uh, on how social media creates anxiety, depression, makes people feel horrible about themselves. Right. And yet we're all addicted to it, right? You got to get those dopamine hits. So 
getting well, so so I think the question is, what do you do, right? So let let's say you get into the spot. It's like, man, maybe I you know, I need to go back to my day job. I need to. I am horrible. You know, I'm a horrible salesperson. My business is gonna fall. Like, what do you do? with those negative thoughts, right? And so how do you intercept negative thoughts? It's it's not just, there is something to be said about grit and determination and tenacity. But when you think about just the psychological side of negative thoughts, mindfulness is is a good practice. And it, it crosses, essentially you can, you can intercept negative thoughts uh, across four different uh, stages. We'll call them stages, four different levels, right? That as humans, we experience negative thoughts, well, we experience thoughts, feelings, and sensations, right? That we have no control over where they come from. Uh, you know, I can't control how I'm feeling. You know, why, why do I feel a certain way? Why do I think certain things? You know, where do those motions or sensations come from? It might be that I feel hungry or I feel lousy or I'm thinking that my business is going to fail. Who cares where they came from? It could have been a bad dream. Could have been a show that I want. Could have come from anywhere. Who knows where it came from? But they go through different stages, the levels, right? So let's say, ah, oh, you know what? I need to just quit and go back to my day job. The first thing is just being aware. Am I having that thought? Am I aware of that negative thought, feeling? Or a lot of times we're not even aware. Like it's just so much subconscious. Like it's something that's been sitting with us. You know, oh, my marriage is going to end. My business is going to fail. The kids are going to leave me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my house, right? Just being aware of what you're thinking or feeling. And then that second level is uh, is entertaining. You think about having like a piece of Play-Doh in your hands that you're kind of turning back and forth that we entertain thoughts, right? Man, my business is going to fail. Uh, you know, I, I need to go back to my W-2. Who would I talk to? Who would I talk to if I was going to try to get my W-2 back to my, would, would I talk to Jim, you know, over in finance? And man, then I'd have to get up in the mornings. Well, do I have any suits left? Are they still wearing suits? You're entertaining, right? You're just, you, you know, and then maybe it's two o'clock in the morning, but you've gone from being a, you know, are you even aware that you're having the thought to now you're entertaining it. You're trying to put it together of, you know, whatever that negative thought is. And then if you do that long enough, entertaining negative thoughts become believing them. That, you know, I've gone from being aware to entertaining the thought to now, believe, I do, I do need to go back to my my corporate job. Like I need, I need to take this step. Like I believe it. I believe that's true. I believe that my business is going to fail. And that's worse. I mean, then you get into like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You believe your, your business is going to fail and you believe that you need to talk to Bill in finance and get your job right. And then the fourth step is is endorsing. That's when you actually do it, right? Then then you go through with it. And sometimes those negative thought patterns occur, step one, two, three, and four, without you even giving yourself the opportunity to intercept it. And you can intercept it. And you, the idea is you want to intercept it as soon as possible, right? If you can intercept it when you're aware, man, I'm, I'm thinking about going to my W-2. I don't need to be thinking about that. That's not helping me. I need to stop that. Versus, man, I've been entertaining this for a long time, you know, the last couple of weeks. So you, you have to recognize only not only what is it that you're thinking, but how far down the road am I? Like, do I believe this is true? Is that, is that accurate? And so that that's really a, a how to inter, intercept those negative thoughts and prevent them from going too far, right? And pulling you off track and and allowing it to deep, deep six your your business. Yeah. Well, and and. It's the thing, it's the same concept of, you know, bringing something from the dark into the light. A lot of us, especially if you're an inward processor, which I tend to be an inward processor, where Anita is more of an outward processor, it's it's easier for her to just have a conversation with me. And then she becomes aware because she spoke it out, you know, it's out loud, it's out there yeah. versus an inward processor who's just sort of wrestling with this and not even realize that they're mm -hmm. so far down the road that they're all the way to the belief and about to be endorsed. So for those folks that know their inward processor, processors, it seems like it would make sense to almost hold yourself accountable to have somebody to talk things through, right? Yeah. And that's why, you know, having a mentor, mentorship, you know, whether it's a group of people or being in an environment, I mean, that, there's a real value and maybe it's a spouse, you know, or a partner or someone that you can just talk things out with and that you can be really honest and say, you know, I'm really struggling. I, I, I've started thinking that I need to go back to my W2 job, right? I just think I'm really lousy at this. Sometimes you don't even need somebody else to challenge you and say, that's not true. Just hearing you say it out loud, like, oh my gosh, I, that's not, tr you know, saying something you don't believe, but maybe you've entertained for two or three weeks. There's, there's power in just speaking those words out loud and hearing yourself, hearing yourself say them. Yeah. Well, your, your brain can be sort of an echo chamber where the same thoughts just bounce around and don't really have a chance to escape until you, you speak them out loud and have somebody 
objectively on the outside, hear what you're saying, interpret what you're saying, and then maybe hopefully speak some truth into what you're thinking. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, on the topic of mentorship, we should probably write down maybe for the next, our next podcast, because that's a great topic to delve into is. is mentorship. But that for somebody that's struggling with negative thoughts, having a mentor or somebody you can talk to, to me would be a first line of defense to, to make sure you're combating those. Yeah, really just, you know, a solid friend can, you can go a long way just for, you know, somebody that you, you regularly get together for coffee or a beer or hang out with watch a game that you, that, that you can turn intentionally and, Hey, can we just talk about real things? Right. There, there can be value in that. Yeah. The, the challenge is oftentimes we, you know, off, almost always we grow up with scripts in our minds, you know, things that, that maybe started out in childhood from your family or friends or that then you carry with you for years and years. And their script could be, hey, I mean, people just think you're crazy. You start talking and you're just, yeah, I, I start talking and I, people just think I'm crazy. Right? And you, you pick up these scripts through life, whatever they are, and all of a sudden we adopt them if as a business owner, right? Or as an entrepreneur, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm in sales, but I start talking people think I'm crazy. And it's like being aware of that, right? Just being able to say that out loud and then challenge it is a part of taking every thought captive and preventing them from going so far that they hijack your thoughts, hijack your business, uh, and then all of a sudden you're off the rails and what otherwise would have been really successful. But I mean, you, again, you being the PhD, you know this area a lot better than I do, but I would imagine that that uh, in, in many cases is probably the path towards depression, which I imagine there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. I'm sure there's, again, there, I'm, we need to look up these statistics, but I'm sure there's a lot of statistics terms of entrepreneurs who face depression and it's probably because they get stuck in these thoughts these, these patterns right yeah i you know i think that that, that there is a a high percentage of entrepreneurs and business owners who who end up in depression i'm sure there's lots of different pathways of, of why that they get there the difficult thing is oftentimes entrepreneurs uh are alone or they have feelings of like i'm in this alone like nobody understands the challenges i'm facing right now and that that can be uh, really dangerous when you feel like, man, I'm in this on my own. Nobody understands the challenges. And and if people knew the mess that my company's in, boy, they'd think poorly of me, which then causes them to, you know, crater inward more and more. And I think that again lends itself to. I think we should talk about mentorship in, in a in a few because mentorship looks a lot of different ways, takes on a, a lot of different forms. It's not a one size fits all. Doesn't look the same to everyone. But for a business owner, that can be a good insulator against depression, anxiety, you yeah. know, negative self-talk. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a relevant topic that probably doesn't get discussed enough in the business realm. You know, I've been in masterminds with, you know, top, top performing guys in their industries for years. Nobody brings this up. Nobody, everybody's putting their best foot forward. Everybody's talking about how many deals I did and how big my business is, but you know, behind the scenes, yeah. More than half of them are struggling with all these same things the, from a you know, month to month struggle, my thoughts, my business, this, and, and it's everybody always, you know, carries this machismo with them and wants to be the biggest, baddest and best and egos get in the way and people don't ever talk about it. So yeah. it's, that's, I'm glad that we have a podcast where we can talk about our feelings, Kevin. <laughs> well, you know, even we just came off an interview where he talked about there's, you know, were, were weeks where he felt like it was on top of the world, you know, rich, and then other weeks he felt like it was broke, and that's an emotion. That's a, an emotional roller coaster, and who, you know, that impacts your home life. I mean, how do you take that home? You know, if you're married with your kids, I mean, that impacts other areas of your life. Uh, if you want to be successful then I think you need to acknowledge that part of your life, right? That, that you do it there. Negative affect is real. We got scripts. We're emotional beings. Yep. You, you got to navigate that as well as the deals you're cutting on, you know, on a week to week basis. And having, I guess, being a little bit more intentional about uh, being aware of yourself and also putting people around you that you can talk to about this so that you don't get stuck in those patterns of thought. Right. That's right. Yeah. You're surrounding yourself with other people. The, the saying I always, I, I really like the saying you will rise or fall to the level of your peers. If you surround yourself with people that are successful real estate investors, guess what you're going to turn into? That happened to me during a season of my life where everybody around me had their PhD. So it was like, well, I guess I'm going to go get my PhD. I mean, that's what we all do, right guys? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you can surround yourself with other people that you, you have trusting relationships and you know, it's people you like, there's some, there's some uh, chemistry, I think that does put you in a spot where there's there's some some insulation, some protection from yourself. You will do things to hurt yourself. You will do things to sabotage yourself. But people who care about you 
won't let you do that to yourself. And so you surround yourself with people that care about you. They won't let you sabotage yourself. They'll, they'll, they'll step in instead. And that's, that's powerful. Well, and to make the distinction too, real friends set their ego aside and have those real conversations versus, you know, superficial friendships and everybody's still putting their best foot forward. And, and honestly, that can, sometimes when you're comparing yourself, you get stuck in that trap and, and things get worse. So right. it speaks right. to having genuine friendships where you can be a little bit more raw with people, right? Exactly. But I think we have the next three or four podcasts planned out. This is great. I think we do. I think we just <laughs> got so many things to did. talk about. Yeah. We need to rebrand this podcast, uh, the uh, psychology podcast with a little bit of real estate. A little bit of real estate and a whole lot of touchy feely. Exactly. <laughs> in touch with your emotions. Um, right. I, I love it, man. I think this, uh, I love talking to Brad and it, it is such a relevant topic to, to be mindful, aware of your feelings and just cry all the time. Right, Kevin, just let That's it out. That's right. Crying is out. what the most important thing. Now, just don't let those negative emotions hijack you. If you hear somebody today listening to this and you think I need to go back to my corporate job and I'm a failure and things are always stop it. Stop. Just stop. Don't stop. do it. Don't believe that's a bunch of lies, right? Believe in your start, put on some R. Kelly. Believe you can fly. I wish if I we had the rights to that, I would totally play this song on the way out. Yeah, we get in trouble. Don't put I that believe. on. You get three <laughs> seconds. I learned that. Did you know that? You got three, yeah, three, you got three seconds. In TV, uh, yeah, in the world of TV, you got three seconds to play a clip. That's it. After that, you so could it. you do three seconds and then be and and then do three seconds and then and? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. We have to ask our attorneys on that. Maybe three three seconds total. All right, we'll check get... our attorneys and bring that next week to you, folks. I like it. I'm gonna see. Uh, maybe on the way out, we'll see if we can edit in a little. I believe I can fly as long as it's under three seconds. Three seconds. Three seconds. I love it. All right, man. We'll see you next week on the see deal next part. week. Yeah, man. Uh, next week there'll be another big deal. Bring uh, bring some Kleenex and some donuts. Let's <laughs> see. <ya. laughs> Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.